All right, we're live with Memory Tracks, episode number 18, almost to the number 20. We'll, we'll get there. You didn't make the 20, but 18's a good number. It's good. It's a good, it's a good uh, friend I can number. drink. No, I can smoke now. So. Oh, yeah, there, there you, you go. go. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and you can... What else can you do? You have to register for the draft. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> do they still... And didn't Selective service is what they call it. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, cool. So today I've got uh, Josh Bradshaw on. Josh, say hello. Hey, how's it going? Um, hey, hey. Happy to have you here. It's a, it's a kind of a relatively bleak Sunday afternoon. Yeah, a it's a little overcast. Moody. Yeah, kind of Seattle esque. Um, I have a Airbnb guest staying with me right now who just drove out to go to Salt Lake for some barbecue. Okay. I was like, yeah, it's actually probably a good day for that. Like being a, caught in a Texas storm out in the hill yeah. country is actually kind of exciting. It's very. Um, hopefully, it's safe for. Him, but yeah, no, <laughs> it's just a nice little ambience i guess yeah. not uh, serious weather <laughs> for sure for sure um so yeah i'm really really happy to have you here you've uh we met in college right mm-hmm. through just mutual friends and yeah. things like that um and you know you you're you're a music guy but you have like music taste that i honestly i don't think i have really anyone else that has a similar passion for the type of music that you have mm-hmm. which is wide-ranging yeah it is pretty wide-ranging like pigeonhole you into one thing no it's that's cool you have like really uh encyclopedic knowledge of electronic music in particular um which i know you won't necessarily admit but you you really do know a lot about stuff and i'm always fascinated to hear like stories related to music and things that i either know or don't know right even if i like or don't like it it's always interesting the way that you tell the story okay well i'm I'm glad to hear that i'm glad (laughs) but Doing that, I guess. Yeah, but you're you're also another uh, guest on the show that um, is a part of the music thread that I've referenced a few mm-hmm. times with Ramon and with Andy, um, and so yeah, I think I when I posted Ramon's a few weeks ago onto the thread, uh, I was like, hey, I want everyone to come on. So yeah. you were the first one to raise your hand. Yeah, I was awesome. kind of like, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll let them ask me, or I just you know maybe I'll bring it up after like a half a year or something. But as soon as you brought that up, I was like the kid who just his hands. That's awesome. I was pick me next. You know? I was really excited uh, cool. to have you on to talk through it. Um, and yeah, you you're from Plano, is that right? Uh, DFW. I'm from Fort Worth. DFW. Well, okay. my, I went to high school in Fort Worth. My and dad Sarah's was in the from Air Houston, Force. Right? Yeah, Sarah's from Houston. Okay. From Spring, Texas. Yeah, yeah. So I, mean, I know I know your wife as well, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would she would she ever come on? Do you think would she want to? I, she. She said, "No, I don't want her to go on." But I'm like, "He would like to have you on." I was telling you, and yeah, and she's told me we we talked about what we picked like almost immediately after you posted your first episode. Yeah. So I, I, you should ask your bugger about it. I will. I yeah. yeah, I mean, we don't have to jump into it right away, but I would be because I know. Well, one, I love her, uh, her background in like emo pop. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. She was a lot more knowledgeable about music in in high school when she was. I guess college age than I yeah. was, so it kind of flipped around where I got really into certain music, which is different kind of music anyway. Yeah, but she has a whole different story and background yeah. and. No, it's awesome. Yeah, to share. Yeah, but I mean, equally important part of her life. That's part of the sure. reason. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're together. Yeah. And again, I always stress like this is not about music nerds. This is about people and the ties that you inevitably get with music. Yeah. So oh, totally. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's cool. We'll bring her on. This is as she's as she's listening to this right yeah, now. She's, she's convincing like, she's herself. Like, Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, be cool. You've been called out. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's it's really cool to have you here. Um, you are 
the proud father of an amazing 19 month, 18 month, 19 month, yeah. Baby, if I do who, my math right, oh my god, if I do say so myself, has the amazing name of Harrison. Yes, so. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, happy accident, but um, we. <laughs> I'd had that name in my back of my head for a while, I guess, and I, I I really don't remember the time when we actually decided on that name. Yeah. But when we did decide on it, we knew you. And yeah. We're like, well, he's cool. Convenient. And yeah. This is so that's good because I I didn't really pick one. I didn't necessarily need to know someone with that actual name right. person, right. but that enhanced it. So it's funny. I, yeah. I'm sure I've said this to you before, but because uh, I remember even well before you guys had um, had him that you had mentioned that to me when we had met. Like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, we love that name. One yeah. day if we have a kid, like, that's what we're going to name him. Um, and, I th- and I always tell, because I hear that every so often from people, and I'm always like, well, everyone says it, but no one ever follows through. Right. And I've had, like, friends and relatives and stuff that have said it that hadn't. And then in the course of, like, three years, you guys had a Harrison. Uh, a cousin of mine had a Harrison. Oh, okay. And somebody else had one as well. Um, it's like, oh, okay, cool. So yeah, because you mentioned that. <laughs> and So that's new then, because last time we talked, I think yeah. no one else had. Yeah, yeah, you guys were the first. Yeah, yeah. cool. So now you have um, like two other... There's three, uh, wow. three little junior Harrisons out that's, there. Oh, boy, that's quite a legacy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, in 18 years, when they're listening to whatever music is then, then we'll have to have uh, all the other Harrisons yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll really see cool. if Elston's in. I think yeah. I'm still doing this. But um, yeah, so you sent over three songs today, uh, last night, so I was listening, or the other, ni- the other night, so I was listening to those, and um, one, I know very well, two, um, the other two, I don't know as well, and one in particular that we'll get to, I really, really enjoyed. Okay, uh, good. And I'm excited to listen to good. it again, because oh, awesome. it's been a couple times. Um, but I guess with that, we'll go ahead and kick it off with the first song. Sounds good. All right. So this one is uh, the Pyramid Song by Radiohead. Thank you. 
from the Amnesiac Pyramid mm-hmm. Song. The yeah. one of the more underrated Radiohead. Yeah, records. it's the first Radiohead album I ever listened to. Is it really? Yeah. Um, I had heard. I was familiar with Creep. Yeah. Everyone is familiar yeah, with Creep. Uh, I remember that when I was a kid. And this, I so I, I heard this song. I saw the song. I saw the music video for it uh, when it came out in two thousand one. So it'd been. What was the music video? It was. Have you seen Artificial Intelligence? Uh huh. Okay, it looks very similar to the last. I won't spoil anything, but look yeah. at the last kind of sequence. Okay. Underwater. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a trippy video, uh-huh. um, and I kind of I just had MTV on. Uh, it's, this is 2001. It's this summer. This is the last summer I was living in England uh, when my dad was stationed over there, and I'm actually was born there originally. This is the second time my dad was stationed there. I feel like you've told me that before. Yeah, it's, I it's totally not. Forgot that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm. You lived at. You've lived all over. Uh, right? Yeah, I've lived in Japan. Yeah. I've lived in Abilene, Texas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another exotic locale. No, uh, we moved around a bit, um, but those are the two big the overseas two ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I I watched it and I was just mesmerized by it. Um, and you know, I kind of waited for the video in, and that's you know, head on the corner, you know, Radiohead Pyramid song. I was like, oh, whoa, okay, that's like the same Radiohead that did Creep, and that's the only reference point I really yeah. had. I knew they had other albums. But that's about it. I know when I knew. It was yeah, it's quite the jump to go from. Yeah, Greece exactly. To yeah, that song. And so from then on, I kind of had that bookmarked in my head, and I always kind of remembered. Okay, if I'm ever gonna buy another CD anytime soon or whatever, I'll, I'll buy that album. Well, we moved like a couple months later, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing a, a poster for it or a T-shirt for it, like at the mall, like at a skateboard shop or something, and. I was like, oh, I bet. So it's like Radiohead had the Amnesiac cover with the little guy on the book and everything. Yeah. And I kind of wish I bought a shirt back then now because I don't. That, that would have been an awesome shirt. Yeah. Have. But um. Anyway, so I was like, oh, I should ask for that for like Christmas or something. So I asked that for that album for Christmas so I could you know uh, listen to it whatever. I kind of I don't say I forgot about it, but you know it, it was right. just like six months later. Yeah. So I remembered that song and just by going on that, it's like okay, I want to eventually listen to the whole album. Out, yeah. yeah. And. We bought, so I got that one for Christmas, and this is kind of a weird. Uh, let me give some context to this. So we moved back to Texas that year. My dad was still in the Air Force, and there's not a active duty Air Force base in Fort Worth, but that's where we're from. My, my parents are from DFW. Yeah. So they bought a house there, and basically we went ahead and started high school. I started high school. My brother and sister started school there, and my dad was stationed in San Antonio because that's like the closest place to get stationed. And so he was driving back and forth. Yeah, he was driving back and forth. And then though on top of that, he was actually at a command post. Like kind of like a higher up position uh-huh. um, within, I think the 19th Air Force, which is like a, a organization within. Uh, but he was still an instructor, and the plane he flew on was out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So he actually had this trip where he every two weeks he'd go from like um, San Antonio to Albuquerque to Fort Worth. Oh yeah, and the truck he had, um, he's like, I hit like 100,000 miles like within yeah. a couple of years, you know. Um, so anyway, for that, for that Christmas. Since he was going to go back to work like a day or two after Christmas, we went and we hadn't seen him. Uh, to give more context, uh, he was still stationed in England after we moved back because he had to finish up his his uh, assignment the time, there. Yeah, and I think he was there till probably October, um, maybe in November. So he was there when nine eleven happened too, which oh, is kind of wow. crazy. Because yeah. if I that was much different experience overseas than it was right. if been stateside. Right. Um, yeah, so essentially we were gonna uh, even though we had Christmas Day in Fort Worth. We went back to San Antonio, so like that day, I had the CD with me, and I was like ready to play it, you know. So it wasn't until that like that night we got back that I actually like put it in my CD player and listened to it, and it was, I mean, 
I had never heard anything like that before, ever. Yeah. I've listened to like Pink Floyd a bit or whatever, and I've, right. I've listened to other rock music and I had a taste for other stuff, which we'll get to uh, later about, you know, like video game soundtracks that mm -hmm. had some interesting stuff, mm -hmm. but nothing like this ever. And uh, it was just mind blowing. I mean, that's a, such a cliche thing to do, say, but it was mind blowing, yeah. you know? And the first album's, uh, the first song on the album is pretty, you know, it's kind of a hypnotic thing. And then Pyramid Song's next. And then the thing that cracks me up every time I listen to Pyramid Song, I'm ready for the next track to start, mm -hmm. uh, Push Pulp Doors, which yeah. has just got that like crazy techno beat, which yeah. I've never heard anything <laughs> like that before either. So every time we play it, I, I notice you faded it out because yeah. otherwise it just, it's like a like crazy right. loop or whatever. Right. Uh, and it's, it's the reason I picked it, besides the fact that I love that album and it, it was this whole entryway to, to Radiohead, it's one of those albums where it's got such a visceral memory to it. Mm -hmm. Like I actually even like the smells the time I remember. Cause uh, I mean, I was, this, I was a city, you know, teenage kid and actually had gotten like, this is really dorky. I gotten like proactive. I don't think they made it a Christmas gift. Might've been coincidental. I don't think they're that, <laughs> but anyway, I had that and I was like using it. So that smell of <laughs> that proactive. That smell is what you forever associate with it. Um, <laughs> we're, you know, uh, and I guess I was, it maybe kind of some overlap there. Also English, it's also kind of moody stuff. Maybe yeah. not moody, but uh, I was into Harry Potter too. So oh, like, of course. So like I have all these kind of visual and, and smell, all these different associations with this album that are like perpetually, you know, kind of entwined with it. Because I listened to it over and over again. Which Harry Potter book? I forget which one we're on. I know we had, the thing I remember. Azkaban maybe? Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, it was, the movies had come out, but they were only like on the first right. movie or two. And right. then. So the books might have been further along. It, they weren't done yet. Because yeah. I remember the last book was in 2000... I want to say 2005. Yeah. Yeah, I forget. Sarah would, would know. She, she's probably like, oh my God. She's she already pulling her hair off just listening to it. Like, I know exactly which one it was. But we, uh, the reason I remember Harry Potter, though, is we'd uh, all gotten the Harry Potter castle like Lego set for Christmas together. Oh, yeah. So we built it there like in yeah. San Antonio. And like so I have that kind of like... And then, so I was like, oh, I'm going to reread the, re the book again, too, yeah. while I was listening to this album, you know? So that's all kind of intertwined together. It's funny, my dad's apartment was pretty sparse or kind of sparsely decorated. So like yeah. the castle was up for like a year, I think, like as a decoration <laughs> awesome. or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was this... Uh, like a Pandora's box for a bunch of new music. Yeah. You know, I, and I didn't get into stuff really crazy until college in terms of like my, you know, what you I've called my big encyclopedic knowledge or whatever. That, that right. was later on, but I, it started then. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely kicked off that, um, interest in stuff that was not mainstream. That was not rock music necessarily. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, even now, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've read up on this album and I've, I've, know all the details to, to the point where like I know what instruments they use and everything but it's still when I listen to it it still excites me it's still yeah. very yeah. interesting very sonically to me even though I, I, I in retrospect know kind of how they made it and it wouldn't be as shocking now if I heard it you know yeah now if you if this was kind of like your gateway into Radiohead mm -hmm. um, how long did it take before you went and listen to the back catalog well I, yeah over so time like do you still associate this record as the most important one for you? It's the most important one. I'm yeah. not sure if it's my favorite. Yeah. Um, it's up there, though. I think if I had to pick, if I had to just pick one album to listen to the rest of my life, it'd probably be, probably be in Rainbows, actually. Yeah. Because uh, we saw them on that tour. Yeah. Um, that we were the first time, too. Yeah, we were at the, the same Houston show. Yeah, I don't know if we right? knew each other then, or if we did, we had no idea we were there, probably. Yeah, because that would have been like freshman or sophomore it's, year. I remember it was 2008. Yeah, so I saw them already. Okay. Yeah. So I was at. We, I think we might college. have. Yeah, we might have met through Hayden. Um, yeah, Hayden or um, Aaron. Or Aaron. Yeah. yeah. Who? They would be good to have on. Again. 
Oh yeah, too. totally. Would be. Um, <laughs> I'd be interested to think what Aaron would pick. He, yeah, uh, seriously, he's got he's got a cool taste. Yeah, well. he's got very varied taste. He's, yeah. He used to be the guy who was like, "Have you heard of this? Have you heard of this? Have you heard of this?" And I'm That's like, right. I, "No, haven't, no, haven't. No, I'll check no. this off." Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so besides that album, I guess this is still be up there. I heard I remember buying uh, "Hell to the Thief" when it <laughs> came out. So at that point. I think a friend had burned me OK Computer and Kid A. Yeah. But I didn't listen to those for a while. I mean, right. I, I, this album was the only one I heard for a good year or two at least. Yeah. If not up until my like senior year. This would be my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who, I remember she burned me a copy of OK Computer and, or she had like Kid A with like some, some like extra B-sides on it. Um, and then when we, when I did go to college, I mean, Sarah was huge in Radiohead. So that was yeah. another like point where we really had a crossover. Gotcha. Other people I knew, like, uh, other friends of mine weren't necessarily in, in Radiohead or, yeah. like, oh, yeah, they're okay, but I'm into this, whatever. I remember for me, uh, in high school, I had a friend, Brandon Sanchez, who got obsessed with Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And he made the mistake of, like, you know, you remember you would do like those, you would burn MP3 CDs where you could fit, like instead of just burning a single record. On oh, CD, you're using you the full fit, memory. Yeah. 700 so like, megabytes. Yeah. You could yeah. get like eight albums on a single CD oh, yeah, or something. Yeah. Um, and I remember he burned me one with like all of their discography up mm-hmm. until, I guess it would have been Hail to the Thief. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's always a disastrous way to like introduce yourself to artists who have like a very large volume of work, especially a very diverse large volume of right. work. Because you're just overwhelmed, and there's you kind of need an entry point. Yeah. So I he tried to get me into them through high school, and I just never quite gravitated towards it. Um, although I always remember the uh, Idiotech song from Kid A. Yeah. They used to play that inside of our laser tag. Uh, oh, really? That's a, that's a <laughs> fitting song. And that, that song, yeah. yeah, I remember getting hyped up for that going in. That song is kind of considered <laughs> a uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that song was kind of considered like an entryway for a lot of people. Yeah. IDM well, the, the whole and, Saturday Night Live performance. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, sure. That, that. Which I'd, I'd miss, but that, yeah, I've I missed it as well, people. but then I'll yeah. just back to it. But yeah, I just kind of missed it. And then I think it was it was freshman year in college uh, before In Rainbows came out. Um, and it was my first semester and through exam season, like during dead week, like I just decided to pick the bins. Um, okay. And I just listened to the bins like nonstop for five days oh, straight, okay. studying like as my background music. That's kind of a that was the one day. that yeah. that was the one that like finally clicked with me, and then went back and Kid A, and then now you know I, I love. I know some people have mentioned uh, Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Oh yeah, the uh, one with Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Yeah, there's a song the from the talk show host. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the one. Um, that's awesome like they, that's the one that oh they, that's how they found out Radiohead right. but that that's, that's either people like my age who saw the movie or people who are a little bit older yeah um, yeah I actually listened to those two albums uh, the first two The Bins and then Pablo Honey for the first time in like forever yeah. this week just because I was oh nice cute. yeah and they're still good but they're they're not the same yeah yeah I mean now I would I would not say The Bins is my favorite band. yeah The Bins is good it's good it's though. good though, it's yeah. good and for when it came out it was still um, yeah very really, really good uh, it, it's something where that's why if you know the scope of their work and you know the scope of music when the you know, OK Computer and Kid A came out, mm-hmm. why they are so lauded, yeah. it's because no one else is really doing that or going from what they were doing to the right. jump they made right. uh, and maturing you know, music-wise. But yeah, I was reading I, that this yeah. song was, it was the first single. They didn't do any singles for uh, Kid A. And right. this was the first single released everywhere for Amusiac. 
in the UK. Okay. The US was the only country where the, this single was I might be wrong. So oh, if you hadn't okay. been in the yeah. UK at the time, you might have missed No, it. that was that was definitely yeah. me watching that having MTV randomly on uh, that day, I think, because I know it had to be summer because I was just kind of sitting around watching yeah. MTV. And yeah. There's other little things I saw or heard on the uh, radio there, which I probably wouldn't have heard in the States. Um, like, I heard the first time I ever heard Daft Punk was over there. Oh, wow. uh, I saw the music video for um, Digital Love, which uh-huh. is pulled from the movie Interstellar 555. And I remember watching that one and being like, I really liked it. I, I wasn't like, saying out loud like, oh this is awesome or dancing yeah. or anything I was just you know I'm kind of just like but watching this is cool. it's good <laughs> and I remember my mom walked in and she's like it sounds like you know like disco or something yeah not like kind of or, I mean like oh I like it but like, kind of like almost dismissingly or right. I don't know I just right. was like, kind of like surprised you're listening to this kind of yeah I was like oh this is interesting you know whatever and uh but she's totally right because I later found out they've sampled yeah. old disco songs a lot that's kind of the reference point right. as house yeah. musicians but yeah uh it's it's crazy because like I think the Radiohead there were there was a point where that was my favorite band. That's the one yeah. that was like this is the band that speaks to me the most. You know, um, I've kind of I won't say that now if there's other artists I, I really like, but they're always up there. Yeah, and they're still around. They're still current. They're still right. putting out good stuff. Right. So it's kind of interesting to see where it'll go. Um, I'm always impressed with their ability to like come up with new sound records. Yeah, I think this this last one I love the record. It's it probably yeah. it's, it's probably the first one in a while where they didn't really progress anything necessarily. Yeah, I, I, I like this one a lot more than um, King of Limbs. King of Limbs and York Solo stuff. I, I kind of got into it. Yeah, but I was listening to like the remixes of that more personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I was more into that kind of stuff. He attracts anyway. good, uh, good remixers. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, uh, he's he definitely knows. There, I remember when Spotify first came out. Um, he would post on their blog. I forget what he called it, like office mixtapes mm-hmm. or something. And it was basically like a photo of his dry erase board in their office. Oh, okay. And it was always like he would pick 10 songs, usually like electronic people and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I started following that and I would I made this like Tom York's Picks Spotify playlist like when I first signed up. I remember, yeah, I remember geeking out when he was, I found out he was an MF Doom fan. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't know how I got into Mad Villainy, but that was kind of my like entryway to hip hop for a while or yeah. underground hip hop and he's he's a big MF Doom fan yeah um, he got really into like footwork music a few mm-hmm. years ago yeah DJ Sluggo I discovered through oh okay there you go thing. yeah, yeah. He, I remember there's a <laughs> it's not cringy but there's a, a video of him like DJing and god bless him he's not that he's not that adept he's not, but he but it was his choices were <laughs> interesting good, yeah great taste and yeah. I think that was almost kind of like a detriment because he'd be playing this random stuff and everyone yeah. says this Tom York is like kind of like oh yeah this is awesome <laughs> your, your yeah. DJ skills are. but he played DJ Nate which is a earlier footwork artist right, who, right. Um, I don't know if he legitimized DJ Nate or anything but it was footwork when I remember it came out like uh, there's a music forum I go to frequently it's an Apex mm-hmm. Swim music forum uh, and that was a very divisive uh, genre. Some people were like, "This is awesome." That people yeah. like, "This is crap." This is garbage, know? yeah. But I remember he like when he recognized it. Some people were like, "Hey, what oh, okay, now it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, what do you think about that or whatever?" And some people were like, "Let's well, see, it makes it even worse." You know, yeah. who cares? But um, well, it's very clear with that band that all of the uh, all the musicians in it have like their own personality and taste, mm-hmm. and they're very well studied in it. I mean, Johnny obviously like this the. For a pyramid song, he conducted all the yeah. He composed, I guess, all of the strings, arrangements, and things. Yeah, he's kind of does the whole backing on that, and then yeah. uh, I mean, they all they all play different stuff on that on that track. That all kind of just 
just comes, comes together. together. Yeah, pretty like simple parts, but as one whole. Yeah, and there's it's yeah. deceivingly simple sounding the piano bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's funny I went back to look at the Wikipedia page for it this week and. I've been to that Wikipedia page enough to like know they cut some stuff out. <laughs> and one of the things they cut out was the time signature, which has been like this perpetual debate of whether or not it's actually in four four, but like you know, huh. kind of oddly yeah. uh, um, played versus some people are like, oh no, it's actually um, like six four, and then it's like this four, and then it's some kind of and like, and if you go to the talk page, like the thing where they, people discuss yeah. the editing, there's a huge long thing. Where these guys <laughs> just like, no, it's They're totally this way, that. yeah. And it, it's, it's to the point where it's like, okay, it's kind of irrelevant. Like, you've kind of fleshed out every possible yeah. idea Tom York had when he was composing this. and That's like the most classic Radiohead stereotype. Oh, sure, yeah. No, it was kind of... That goes with any super nerd fans of yeah. any music. I mean, there's always going to be people arguing over stuff endlessly <laughs> to no avail. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But no, Radiohead, it's, it's also the first band I really got into that was one I hadn't heard from a friend or from my parents or some yeah. other reference point. That's one I just like dove into. It just naturally came to you. And I was like, I'm listening to this because I really want to listen to it. That's fun. Which is a big a part of why I picked it as well. Yeah. You know? Cool. Well, with that, we should, uh, let's move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. I'll probably will me- we'll mess up the um, pronunciations of this, but um, this next song is called Claire de Lune, number three. And it is a piece that I'm sure we'll go into more detail that's composed by Claude Debussy and performed by Sao Tomita. Here we go.
So that was Claire de Lune, number three. Like we said, composed by Claude Debussy, mm-hmm. performed by Isao Tomita, a Japanese pioneer. Yes, uh, very much a pioneer of electronic music and synthesizers, using yeah. synthesizers in particular. I, I spent, I was not familiar with this, uh, and then I heard it, and I was like, well, of course Josh picked something like this. Uh, and then it was also just like, I'm so happy to discover this. Oh, good, through, like, good. I mean, That's... I've, so this morning I've been listening to the Greatest Hits CD uh, of this guy. Yeah. I read up a little bit about him and um, was fascinated with yeah, his all is... of it. I, I feel like we can nerd out on this one Oh, for a I while. could, I could. <laughs> I'll try to. But uh, I'm really, really excited to hear your connection to it and yeah. uh, your interpretation of it because uh, it's gorgeous. It's really Good. fun to I'm listen to. I'm glad you liked it. it. I kind of picked it hoping you would be less familiar with it. Yeah. This is my kind of cheat. This is my catch-all for okay. electronic music. Cool. Uh, I mean, the, and I did pick it because the song itself uh, by WC, Claire de Lune, is important to me. This version, though, is my favorite because of just the way it sounds and everything behind it and the history behind it. I didn't discover... This is the most recent one I've discovered, too. Uh, I probably discovered this uh, a few years ago, maybe at the very most, maybe five years ago, but yeah. earlier than that, probably. And it's my catch because when I was trying to think of other um, songs to pick, I had actually made like a Desert Island Disc playlist a long time ago, and yeah. you mentioned that I think in the first episode. Right, right. And so this was on there, and other stuff that was on there. Uh, I think the only one, yeah. So uh, Pyramid Song's on there. Mm-hmm. The third song I picked is not on there, and I, I picked it because it wasn't on there, uh, among other things. And for me, picking uh, an electronic song is hard to do because my experience and my connections with electronic music are not so much these either really personal mm-hmm. connections or these really literal memories attached to them. Yeah, It's more my interest in music in general yeah. and my fascination with music. It, yeah. yeah, technique, the the more abstract right. uh, emotion you get from it, you know, uh, painting pictures in your head or, or finding... Uh, I, I don't make music. I, I want to get around to it eventually. Um, but as someone who appreciates the knowledge and the, uh, the history behind it, there's a lot with electronic music that to me has always been really interesting and perpetually I'm always finding out more right. finding these new scenes that kind of stuff for instance I was trying to pick an Aphex Twin song Aphex Twin's my favorite musical artist yeah. uh, Arian's my favorite art band and we'll get to that yeah. but I could not find one that was just like I could talk about as much for one uh, I would just be kind of blabbering about you know <laughs> use this synth or this is really important, but no, I, I like I, I would I try to find one, even though I, I love his music and it's it's music that's really important to me. It was not something I could really pick for this for this discussion. But this one, uh, I don't know. Did you read any of the history on this song or this the album at all? Um, Just out so of curiosity, the things that, the things that I connected with from what I read was kind of the intention of the word tone paintings. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like this idea behind creating sounds that were not necessarily, you know, chord-driven or or right. harmonies, and uh, just more like articulating color and emotion mm-hmm. through sound. That's so. That's a great. Did you hear? It. Yeah, it's a great point to uh, go off because I very I know I don't know anything about classical music. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing. Like I can talk about electronic music, but my knowledge of classical music is like. Uh, there's Bach and Mozart or whatever. Right, so I don't right. know much about it. But that's what uh, I read about the, uh, Debussy. He was kind of known for that in his composition. 
and Tomita launched off that with the synth mm-hmm. as an instrument. So mm-hmm. he was kind of, in his own way, doing the similar thing, um, being expanding on the whole idea of the tone mm-hmm. paintings with mm-hmm. the synthesizer, which is new at the time a very Brand new instrument. New, yeah. yeah. And so, still monophonic at the time, right? This is okay. That's the part. Sorry, I no. That's I'm so glad. I'm so glad you read that. Okay. That's the part where, <laughs> when I heard about that, uh, I was like, "You've got to be." I didn't think it's proud of me. Like, I mean, it was. It took 14 months to record this album, which, if you know what went into it, you're like, "I'm surprised you finished it." In 14 yeah, months. I know. Uh, I kept reading that too, and I was like, "That sounds pretty fast, given how complex yeah. it actually." So is. For, for okay, so we're, what we're talking about here, uh, this is came out in oh yeah, I think 72, 73, uh, 74. Okay, at the time, synthesizers that were out, the main one that came out was the uh, not the Moog instrument, the mm-hmm. Moog synthesizer. Mm-hmm. And it was the first, you know, monophonic, you know, had the keyboard synthesizer. There was electronic instruments before that, but they were all either kind of cobbled together or they were very limited or uh, very specialized in their nature. You yeah. had to really know. You could do one little thing. Yeah, I mean, most, yeah, most people, or most people playing them actually made the thing itself. Right. Uh, for instance, BBC Radio's workshop was a in-house studio. Uh, and the, all the composers who did, like, the electronic music for that, they were usually... They're literally just like recording with like these oscillators and these like ring modulators and these instruments, and huh. they would overdub everything to make the effects. Like the first Doctor Who song, it's all these meticulous overdubs of huh. the same weird electronic yeah. noises. They're not actually playing instruments at all. Yeah. Uh, when the Moog came out, the first person who really uh, took it and, and made a, an album of it that kind of it, it made a serious album out of synthesizer music that was neither avant garde nor novelty kind of stuff mm-hmm. was Wendy Carlos and that's the album that uh, Tomita heard and made him go from being uh, I think he was just kind of a, a trained musician who was doing classical stuff or mm-hmm. soundtrack stuff and he heard it and was like I need to get into this stuff and he, he bought a synthesizer there's a whole crazy story about how when he tried bringing that to Japan they didn't know what it was and uh, some sort of weapon or something yeah they thought it was like what they thought it was lab equipment or something and yeah he was trying on the customs forms so he didn't pay an arm and a leg or so he didn't have all this red tape. He just put, I think he's like, oh, I'll just put a music instrument. And they're like, this is not a music instrument, you know. I can visualize him being like, no, it is. So he actually, he said in an interview that he had to explain that it was, he had to prove that it was a musical instrument. So he, he got the album, you know, the Winnie Carlos album. He's like, see, look, here it is. And the Winnie Carlos album has a picture of this guy dressed like Bach, like with a synthesizer, and like, well, that doesn't mean anything. You know? So apparently, he actually had to get a photo of someone playing it on stage to prove that it was a musical instrument, wow. and then he could clear it in. And the synth at the time, or the, the synth itself, at the time, these synths were they took up rooms. I mean, they were hundreds of pounds of equipment, and literally, they looked like something you'd see like in a, a you know a laboratory or, mm-hmm. or some kind of communications mm-hmm. building or something. It's crazy. So he got into the synthesizer music, and I guess. Because of his familiarity with, uh, I'm going off the assumption here. I guess because he was familiar with that uh, song and some other classical pieces, he, he decided to use that and kind of go the same route that Winnie Carlos did. Winnie Carlos used a synthesizer to play right. Bach, and that was a big deal because at the time, the the Moog was being used in songs. There's, I mean, it's on Abbey Road. Yeah. There's a Monkey song that has a Moog in it, yep. but they're always it's like used, very singular. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Either like in the re- refrain, either it was like, at, at best, it was a, an element of the song. Yeah. At, most of the time it was like either 
and just look at this cool sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or in or in soundtracks for like sci-fi stuff. That's yeah. that's why we have an association with uh, sci-fi with synthesizers because that's how it was used. Right. You know, space music. Yeah. You yeah. think of synthesizers. This is part of that example. Or in that. some cases, like actual prop sounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not just music. Oh yeah. I mean, R2D2 yeah, I mean, was made with a synth. Yeah. Uh, I think he was made with an ARP, if I remember right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um. So her she bridged a gap. She kind of made people who weren't familiar with it or were not taking it like seriously or, or kind of pigeonholing it and say, hey, look, you can use this for all sorts of possibilities, you know, musically. And to, to explain why it was so hard to make, synthesizers up until, I don't remember which model it was, up until like basically the mid-70s, late-70s, were monophonic. So if you played a, a piano, you can play multiple notes at once. Right. You can play chords. Yeah, basically. you play chords together, yeah. yeah. Uh, with the synth at the time, you couldn't. You can do all sorts of things to change the sound and the mm -hmm. way it sounds, you know, the, the timbre and the, you could, you could play effects through it. You can right. do all these the different things. and everything. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But for just one note. Well, this is a orchestral piece, essentially, or this, this is heavy on not just chords, but just tones. I mean, it's, a, it's an essential part of the song. So he had to record the one track, the one, you know, set of, of notes, and then record another set of notes and record another set of notes and then mix all this together. And this is back when we were using tape. Yeah. So tape at the time, <laughs> well tape now, there's tape hiss to it. There's, you have to edit out certain stuff. Yeah. So, and tape was new as well. I mean, yeah. uh, maybe been around 10 years tops in terms of actually being used in a studio. So even though he was like, on top of all this overdubbing and mixing, he also had to be playing noise reduction I mean it's just this yeah it's a whole orchestra and yeah and you can't play it back easily it's not like you can do it on your digital you're literally stuff. rewinding and then yeah. once you overdub then you're losing yeah right I mean if you yeah. have a mixer I think he I think no he was edit, lucky, undo exactly I think he was lucky enough to have like a 16 channel mixer which, but even then it's still yeah. it helps you know uh, for instance the Beatles recorded I think with a 4 track for the longest time I think that's right yeah. which they had to literally like you said record into a track and once you recorded back and overdubbed it that was it yeah. you, you had to either erase the whole thing and start mm -hmm. over or you just had to go with it and that's fascinating to me because when I I don't actually remember the first time I heard this album I was familiar with it it was kind of on my radar mm -hmm. I didn't even remember seeing album covers of his music like at thrift stores cause it was, yeah. he was kind of known as like I'm sure it's like the one album like your dad well, I had think this like record was nominated for like four Grammys yeah it was a big yeah. breakthrough yeah so it was something I think Unless you were really into electronic music, even some other people might have had it, like it's a novelty song or an album to go with like their other kind of soundtrack mm -hmm. stuff or Exotica or whatever, um, which is kind of how they marketed it, I believe. Because uh, when he first pitched it, he couldn't get it released in Japan. They didn't want anything. Like, so <laughs> he went to the States. He actually flew to Brooklyn on a whim. Not a whim, on a chance, really. And uh, it's in New York City, and they got it released there. The... Reason, I think that I, I'm trying to remember how I found out about it. I actually think I heard it because it was used, it was sampled in another song. Mm -hmm. It's been sampled in a few. This particular song, specifically this this track, has been sampled in some hip hop songs. Huh. Uh, I think Dilla and it's a Slum Village. It's on a Slum Village song. Okay. Uh, Fly Lotus, Flying Lotus sampled yeah. it on one of his early, not okay. his album stuff, but it's like his beat stuff. But I heard it because there was a uh, a really great underrated. He's not one of my favorite, but he's underrated for sure. Uh, Electronic producers, Emo uh, Tabin, he's Brazilian. I don't know. He's on Ninja Tune. He okay. he did a lot of stuff that early on was like kind of drum and bassy. So yeah. I heard this song of his called uh, "Back to Space," I think. I wrote it down. Yeah, "Back from Space," and it's the sample. of This song is is kind of the main hook in it, which is cool because when you listen to the song, it's a really short sample, but he kind of expands it into this hmm. 
you know, it's like the main melodic backdrop to all this other stuff going on. Right. But I find that fascinating in hindsight because when you sample stuff, especially if you sample stuff in the late 90s or early 2000s, when he, which he did, it was with a hardware sampler and the memory space on that's not much. I mean, you're literally talking about a couple seconds of a, of a sample that's probably like less than a megabyte, probably just even like kilobytes of yeah. data and he's turning into this great, crazy, you know, song or whatever. But the song he's sampling was this labor of love that took 14 months to construct with extremely expensive equipment. Yeah. And that's just, that, I find that fascinating. Like, yeah. You know, it was awesome. That's what sampling is so fascinating to me. You can you could take all the effort or all the uh, the stuff that's you know kind of comes with a recording and then repurpose it, or in a way that, especially if it's done right, almost kind of like flip it in a way that's a new appreciation of it, yeah. a new use of it. Yeah. Uh, I had no, and when I heard it the first time, and when I listened to this, the, the sample on that song, and I listened to the album, I had no idea how complicated and just brilliant this album was right. in terms of composition. Now I have an appreciation for it, but yeah. that's that's the main thing I, I kind of picked. That's the reason I picked for it to talk about. The other reason I picked for it, uh, which is more critical, I guess, is my emotional connection to it. Uh, Claire Lune's just one of those, everyone knows that song. Yeah. And it's one that my wife and I love, and it's one we actually walked down the aisle. That's to. right, yeah. And we picked it because it's one that, it's got this kind of, I don't want to say like universal or kind of like there's this unconscious emotional connection to it. It's, 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 you know, it translates to moonlight, you know, right. and there's something just magical about it. That's, you don't really need to have a personal memory. You don't really have to have a necessarily even appreciation for yeah, who he was. Kind of hear it's, it just a, it's just a, it's just a brilliant there. song. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's yeah, just it a really beautiful, it's just beautiful music. Yeah. Uh, and for him to expand on that song using the synthesizer, I mean, when you listen to that, you, f- you feel like you're going in space. I do anyway. Yeah. It's, no, he, it really he does, does so much stuff with it that, you know, I, I, I'd love to see uh, Debussy actually listen to it if he could, if he was still alive. I was th- that, that's where I couldn't help thinking about <laughs> yeah. listening to it and then reading up about it because, you know, I, I read about Debussy's history and, mm-hmm. I mean, he sounds like he lived an insane life. Mm-hmm. Like, French guy married, uh, like, had serious relationships with dozens of women, it sounds right. like, over time. And, uh, ended up passing from colon cancer, I guess is what it was. Right, yeah. Uh, but just moving around a lot and, you know, breaking boundaries, yeah. composing. And, yeah, it's just fascinating to think about. Cause I think he died in, like, 1912 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, really. Yeah, you know more about him than I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I've read about it a little bit, but I've been meaning to dive more into his actual music. But um, how bizarre to think that, you know, it's a pretty groundbreaking song for him, I'm sure, yeah, at that yeah. time. Right. And then... 50 years later or whatever it is um, it becomes this channel or this vessel for exactly. totally new sound oh and, yeah exactly. Yeah, I mean like his mind would be blown like I would hope would he like it would he would he be offended or, like, right it's just well, fascinating I, I was wondering that about. too because I was I was reading up on uh, Switched on Bach is the Wendy Carlos album that was mm. the big thing mm-hmm. the big you know pivotal album uh, that she did and it was like you know it was, it was it's a classic now and it was it was applauded at the time by some but some critics were like this is just they, he would be they were saying yeah, Bach this would, is would an hate it. yeah <laughs> this is totally missing the point of his music you know and I'm not someone who I, I have a little bit of musical background uh, I play I mean I played trumpet and band for a little bit and I, but I'm not of someone who's musically apt yeah. and people who I know like my wife who is when they listen to this I'm sure they they can appreciate a lot more the actual mm-hmm. kind of like composition behind mm-hmm. it and everything and for me, it's just more of a casual listener. I, I, I can appreciate it, but 
the the way he goes with it with I mean this the cool thing about the song is he he kind of tries different you know sounds with it yeah I mean so there's a crescendo that's part of the song anyway but this the tamp the I guess the way he had the synthesized program or preset or whatever mm-hmm. not preset he had the way he had it set up for the last part I mean it just it sounds like so much more expansive yeah. there's a part in the middle that you can tell he was playing around with a um, like a vocator mm-hmm. you know because they mm-hmm. use his voice in there and yeah. it, there's a part almost sounds like video game music which this predates it but he right. was using stuff that filtered it to sound that way was, right. he, he was playing with all these different sounds you know with the same notes in a single piece that works exactly right? yeah <laughs> and it's just and not only that exactly same piece same notes that were from the earlier part of the song but yeah it's just it's just Awesome. It's, it's funny, like thinking about electronic music, and uh, you know the people who dismiss it or say that oh, it's not real music, blah blah blah. Right. Um, I a few years ago, I got a '70s uh, Moog. Uh, was it the Micro Moog? No, there's the Mini Moog, which is a really expensive one. Right. I think. That's probably got, the analog one. Then. I've got the analog micro oh, uh, okay. one I got from Switched On here in town, which oh, nice. if anyone listening ever wants to explore the world of synthesizers, Switched On is yeah, Switched On's a cool it's place. It's like heaven yeah. on earth. But, um, it's great that we have a, a synthesizer store. It's really cool. I don't cool. think any yeah. really no, I mean, like, it's a major thing. People travel here uh, not just for that store, but they make an effort to go out of their way to go there. And you should. It's fascinating. Um, but, you know, I've tried to learn how to play I don't, I can't, I mean, mm-hmm. I, but you know, I, I teach myself different things and different knobs and what this filter does and what that does. And, right. Uh, you know, it's just as musical as any other instrument. Oh yeah. And, and then even, and that goes down to your theme that you're talking about as well about like being fascinated with how sampling works and mm-hmm. that culture. And again, like that's something that a traditional music fan might dismiss as like, Oh, you're just copying somebody else's work. Right. And like, but if you ever actually try to unpack that music and do it yourself or right. understand what's going on, like th- there's only so many notes in music to begin with. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. How many times has a G chord been played? Like, and you're more impressed by the fact that somebody's playing a G chord with a guitar as yeah. opposed to a synthesizer. Well, and once you listen to <laughs> stuff that uses samples a lot, whether it's hip hop or electronic music or anything that's just, you know, kind of the idea of, of uh, music concrete this mm-hmm. idea of using other pre-recorded mm-hmm. sounds and stuff that seems simple or seem, stuff that works is deceivingly simple for one yeah. I mean yeah. the way they can flip stuff is, right. is incredible I mean, it, it could be something really subtle right. the way they cut it off the loop or the, what they do with it versus just playing the full bar of it that can make it sound like oh this is just them being lazy versus yeah, yeah they turn this into something I would not expect you yeah. know? I, I love when I hear something that I've heard the song that it I've heard a song that sampled a song that I didn't know what the sample was. Then you hear the actual real song, right. and you're like, "Oh my god, that's that's, yeah, that's cool too." So you said, "Oh, that's yeah, that's so cool." It doesn't know? take away from either one yeah, of the, the songs. The train spotting <laughs> aspect of it, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, sampling itself is almost like a what do I call it? like a microcosm. I don't know. It's it's a parallel to music itself. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a there is sampling that's terrible. There is sampling that's brilliant. There's stuff I've heard that's sample only that's just almost like an orchestra of sounds yeah. there's stuff I've heard it's sample heavy that's like just might as well be cheesy TV jingles because it's so bad you yeah. know? It, it, it runs the, it runs the gamut and of course but you get that in any aspect of creative exactly right? exactly like creative writing creative painting creative yeah. music like it's, I think people too you know they don't appreciate how I mean I, I making electronic music is now a lot easier than it used to be yeah not just because of what we're talking about the analog synthesizers versus the digital stuff but even all the possibilities when it comes to mixing and using mm-hmm. 
just you, you, you can literally use the laptop to make the same thing he made there, right? Which is crazy. It is insane. And uh, so when you hear, so I'm kind of gotten, I, I've become less and less cynical with my dismissal or appreciation of music, I guess. Yeah. In general, because I think I'm just getting older and I don't, I don't want to waste time with it. Right. But there's sometimes where I'm like, well, I'm not really gonna get into this because like I know they're not really yeah going for it in terms of like creativity they're not pushing it yeah and and there's so much with the internet now that i mean or any kind of social media there you could get so uh educated on Mm -hmm. certain kind of music and and literally look up on youtube how to make this specific sound and aesthetic and all that stuff i mean people could switch completely uh their their whole vibe and their whole style and everything on like a whim on a whim yeah yeah, so it's uh, you could be. I think people should be more kind of not critical, but aware of that. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, again, the, the bring up just how insanely hard this was when he was making it. Even back then, now you can you can make a sound. You could create like a uh, uh, a setup on a digital synth or even a, a nice analog synth mm-hmm. or whatever. Know what your settings are and go back to it. Mm-hmm. Back then, these things were so temperamental. I mean, if you didn't record at the time, you could probably never come out. You never it. come back. To yeah, it. For, I mean, it, it, it was so iffy. And yeah. there's actually recordings of uh, other uh, really classic albums from the air synthesizer albums. Uh, there's a uh, Tangerine Dream album mm-hmm. where uh, it's Phaedra on the first the first track when they're playing it. There's a part where one of the drones, one that just like kind of sustained mm-hmm. parts, he's actually pitching it back up because it'd be going for so long. The synthesizer went out of pitch. It just would like yeah, because it's just that's how temperamental they were. <laughs> right. So like he had to like adjust it during their recording. Oh, that's uh, crazy. There's another oh, I can't think of her name. There's another uh, example of that where I remember she. There's uh, I'm gonna kick myself for not knowing her name, but there's another uh, synthesizer, uh, uh, you know, pioneer for the '70s. And I remember in an interview she was talking about how in her apartment, the temperature change would literally affect the sound of the synthesizer hmm. because I mean the, every, the, everything is not only analog they, they were these older yeah. you know, pieces of equipment. So they had to be mindful of all that stuff on top of just yeah. trying to come up with music and, you know, figure out how to work these things. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. That is crazy. Uh, it's, you, you've mentioned a few, uh, women, uh, synthesizer artists and mm-hmm. there was, uh, some SoundCloud thing that somebody sent me that was like an hour and a half mix of like all of the famous women pioneers of synthesizer right. music. And yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, it, it was actually like a really big scene in the 70s. Well, the like, Doctor Who theme was uh, written by uh, a woman. Yeah. And she she's not even actually credited as the writer because she, she was given the composition by another seasoned, you know, right. stuffy old British BBC uh, you know, composer. Yeah. And uh, I say stuffy. I mean, he was just the typical, like, oh, I'm the, I'm the composer for the BBC. Oh, whatever. <laughs> and he, so he gave her, like, the music, the sheet music or whatever, and she produce the Doctor Who track which mm-hmm. is I've mentioned was using these modulators and she actually not only should they, they had to record on tape they had to play it back on tape to different pitches mm-hmm. to actually get the notes that's wow. how that's how much crazier it was even like yeah. five, year, five ten years before uh, Tommy to record his, his uh, things at the Moog or the Moog and um, when he played when she played it back for him the first time he's like and then as a huge compliment he's like I wrote that like that doesn't sound any like that that was crazy you know <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Julia uh, Derbyshire, that was her. her yeah. Match. And she actually, um, she recorded a few things, but she kind of had a quiet retirement and kind of got out of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, she was, a lot of these people early on were um, pretty humble, I guess, in their yeah. uh, 
endeavors, you know. And you could really, I mean, you could compose everything on your own in your bedroom. Oh, yeah. You know, because you had to, because you had to spend so much damn time trying to Oh, yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned he, besides sleeping and eating, that's all he did was just <laughs> program this stuff or, that's you know, crazy. record it. That's fascinating. All right, should we go on to, uh, to our final song? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're good. All right, so this uh, this last one will be from. Um, you've already mentioned that this is your favorite rock band, um, so this is REM, and the song is called "You Are Everything."
So that was are the you are the everything. Yes. By REM. And before we jump into going on that, we were <laughs> discussing as soon as I hit play that I, I cut you off before you had one no, last thing okay. you wanted to add to uh, to the last track, but it was from where you. Yeah. The, the so the first time I heard Claire de Lune was actually on the movie. It was in the it's in the soundtrack or it's in the movie uh, The Right Stuff, which is one of my favorite. It's my it's tied to my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. It and Empire of the Sun are my favorite movies ever. So watch it. Yeah, so watch it. They're they're great. Um, right stuff's about the early American space program and test pilots in the late forties and Empire Sun's like a really underrated Spielberg movie. And the thing that's uh, the reason I wanted to bring that up. Those movies uh, both are like kind of the first movies I watched by myself. Uh, I remember we had VHSs for them, mm-hmm. and so I had like a connection to those movies. And that song's in Claire Lunes in a, a kind of almost like a montage scene in the movie it's hard to explain but it's in a kind of important part towards the end and so that song always stuck with me it's always kind of been with me in that yeah. sense so to hear it again like that is really cool uh, and that, the other time I think I've realized I, I love that song and the, I, you know Sarah my wife uh, we kind of realized we both love that song was there's a movie called Atonement uh, I don't know if you've, if you've seen it it's that got a familiar. yeah it's a, it's a really sad war movie um, yeah. or war era movie with uh Oh my God! I'm having a uh, It's it's. Oh, for the end. Is the director the actor? Or? It's my wife's favorite actor. She's gonna kill me. Oh my God! <laughs> She's also in um, *Pride and Prejudice*, the recent re- version of it. Uh, Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley is in it. Ah, uh, yeah. And that is that's the one that's like the only song in the movie that's actually not part of the soundtrack. Uh, it's this really super depressing scene, but it's a really emotionally touching scene. When uh, it, the movie's about World War II, mm-hmm. and there's a part where one of the characters, who's a nurse, is uh, kind of attending to this um, injured French soldier, and he's in delirium. He's kind of she think he thinks he's, this nurse is his sister, and mm-hmm. he's kind of mm-hmm. basically dying. There's a part where he actually turns over and you can see like half his head's gone. It's it's crazy, but he's talking to her about how he hears the lid in his head, and he's talking or he's talking like oh we should you know you should play that song you know whatever. And it's this like oddly touching scene that's very sad or whatever but we talked about it in the movie and I realized oh we both love that song yeah um, the first this is she's super personal she's oh, she's probably gonna roll her eyes or, or be like oh my god <laughs> uh, when I told her kind of that I loved her we were actually it was like under moonlight this is uh, I'm not sure the gazebo is even around anymore but it was down near like town park yeah or uh, a Zilker park kind of like a okay. walkway of the, uh-huh. along the uh, town lake um, so that's always kind of been like also the reason oh, I, okay. like that song why we picked uh, why I wanted to do yeah so uh, yeah, anyway that's all that's all that that I wanted to mention so I'm glad you let me yeah yeah I'm sorry for cutting you off no no you didn't come <laughs> off I, you're like is it really good and I'm like yeah and then I was like oh crap forgot to mention this that's and one thing <laughs> as I'm doing this I have to learn how to be better about is make sure that we get everything before we jump in that was so. that was 50-50 <laughs> I think cool alright yeah, well good. so we just heard R.E.M. Yes. for everything, yes. which is also, I think, a pretty romantic song as well. That's a, yeah, that's know, a, I don't know if that's the intent or not. Well, no, I mean, that's that's funny. Uh, I think that's what I love about this song. I, I've always really liked Stipe's lyrics, but mm-hmm. I think this one in particular stood out because there's so many interpretations you can mm-hmm. have from it, and they, they're all equally as meaningful. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a really kind of a brilliance to that. Um 
I've never, t- I've always kind of taken it as like a, a song about self-reflection, I guess. Mm-hmm. I first heard R.E.M. as a kid. I mean, I heard this back when my dad was playing it, my mom was playing it in their CD, or their, their cassette. Yeah. I actually had the cassette still. Yeah. Uh, so this is like back in, you know, it's early as I can remember, probably like 89, 90. This came out in 88. 88, but, yeah. So like when we were living in, uh, particularly when we were living in Abilene, uh, they'd often play that when we were traveling from Abilene to Fort Worth because my grandparents. So I always have uh, associations with, with those REM albums from that era with uh, being in the car, yeah. which is mentioned in the song, which yeah. is uh, kind of a coincidence. But yeah, so I've always kind of just listening to this one again over the years, it's had an added uh, meaning mm-hmm. to me. It's a very, and it's, it parallels my relationship with this band because I loved that band as a kid and then I didn't listen to them as much and then it was like the band I'd really liked in high school but never like wore on my sleeve I guess yeah and it's also a band in college where like by the time I got to college they were st- they were still around but they weren't really making anything I was interested in anymore right right and I got really into Radiohead and I got really into all this other stuff I'm into it's not as cool as, or you know this totally just a different different scene so every time I go back to them uh, I, was, I had like a new appreciation for them mm-hmm. especially the last few years I've, I've listened to them and gone further back in their discography that I wasn't as familiar with and I go back with this new appreciation of what they were doing and more knowledge of what they were doing and also just a broader sense of uh, style of music that I like too yeah. and so hearing this that's the reason I picked this song it's something that's it has it's just as much meaning to me now as it did then for completely different reasons or added reasons um, yeah I mean it's, it's I actually were kind of on break like if you're familiar with R.E.M. or if you literally listen to him and you're like nah not really and it's like I would probably talk about that more, but I know it's one of those bands that's most people either. There's a few people that are like really into them. Right. There's everyone who kind of knows their singles. Yeah. And the singles kind of vary because they've been around a while. Right. And there's other people who are like, you know, Farium or whatever, you know. <laughs> and another band I really like that's kind of in the same category as U2. Yeah. It's that's the same. Fair. Yeah, it's the same thing where it's like, and I have a cutoff. I have actually more of a cutoff with U2. Like, I. Yeah. Like they're they're still around. They're more right. recent. Like the, the one that you had to listen to, or not listen to, but the one that like showed up on your phone or whatever. Oh god, yeah. I haven't even listened to that one. So I'm like, I don't want to. I mean, I still love that band. Or I like that band a lot. Whatever, yeah, I mean, but, Joshua Fury's great. Yeah, but it's like one of those things where like, well, I'm, I'm glad REM actually like said, hey, we're quitting as a band. Yeah. Uh, versus kind of this yeah. whole dinosaur kind of lumbering to its death kind of thing. A lot of right. other bands are doing, right. especially classic rock bands are, so. Uh, yeah, it's one of those bands where I I'm, I kind of want to pick it for that reason because it's not a very it's an interesting I guess it might be something yeah. that would be an interesting choice or unexpected choice for me maybe I don't know I'm kind of I think REM one of the things that is a challenge for them is Michael Stipe's voice is very much Michael Stipe's voice oh totally like yeah. and I think a lot you kind of either either love it or hate it mm-hmm. and I've always gravitated more towards the hate it like, yeah not not that I I think over the years I've become more tolerant of it. But um, it's just really off-putting at first for me, and he just sounds kind of like corny almost. Uh huh. Oh, sure. In the way yeah. that he sings, um, and because his voice is so different, then mm-hmm. you do listen to the lyrics. Like it, it just oh, it forces you. I, to, I, I never right? thought of it that way. Yeah, you actually, it's um, kind of like literally like hitting you with the head yeah, the lyrics. yeah. And I mean, and they're they're actually they're great lyrics, but for whatever reason, I just never quite connected. And then mm-hmm. when I finally got around to it, like admitting that okay, I need to get into them, I still haven't found that 
portal in yet. Oh yeah, so. I can I can give you that, which is kind of hard to do, but I can we can. The one the first time that I do remember hearing an REM song though, uh, and like acknowledging that it was REM was of course end of the world, but it was on uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater's um, Nintendo sixty four game. Really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is kind of a fun song. Which which did, uh, Tony Hawk was? It, it was on? the first one, the very first one. So like ninety eight or something. I guess like it was. Yeah. You know, it might that might have been only on Nintendo. I don't know. That's, that's kind yeah, of crazy. Yeah, like the first one was yeah. just on Nintendo 64. Because there's actually, um, <laughs> there's a lot of music I've heard, again, kind of going back to like these little things where these kind of like previews of all the music I get into when I was like in yeah. middle school and stuff. Yeah. I remember Tony Hawk Pro Skater and there's another really underrated video game called um, Thrasher Skate and Destroy that was PlayStation. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I had like an awesome old a school hip hop soundtrack, yeah. soundtrack and uh, like Tribe Called Quest and mm-hmm. like all these, and there's some like kind of random, there's like four tracks that are like... Uh, late 90s early 2000s electronic tur- turntables and big beat kind of stuff yeah uh, but that soundtrack I, I love that soundtrack and it was weird because i didn't know any of that stuff and yeah I'm like oh and I, I didn't really know anything about hip-hop I'm right like, oh this is this is hip-hop this is cool. Cool. This is awesome. yeah. <laughs> there's tony like dead kennedy's the first time i heard them was on a tony yeah. Hawk soundtrack yeah. and that's crazy you heard yeah. it on i know it's so weird yeah i guess maybe i didn't phase me because i was so in rt rem i feel like all, it, i didn't even really think about that i feel like my first south by southwest or one of my first ones in college here in austin uh was when they played okay um, and i remember like it was a really big deal and everyone was like oh, i can't believe rem is playing i didn't go to the show yeah. i've not seen them live know, and i never but, saw them live yeah. yeah which is okay i'm okay with uh i've they've been such a important album to me listening to personally like mm-hmm. in, at home or just in general uh that I'd never they're not one of those bands that's like oh I need to see this band live that's interesting yeah, yeah. which is yeah it's, it's there's other bands that's been the opposite though. I mean there's uh, I did see you 2 live actually my whole family went to go see them but mm-hmm. uh, that was back in like 2005 I think was it here? no that was up in uh, American Airlines Center okay, it, it sold out so fast we couldn't even like sit together oh. <laughs> which is okay but it was like because we got to talk about it afterward and like Damien right. Marley opened it for him and that was okay, kind of cool yeah, so, like, we cool. got to talk about that and like hey that was was that the tour where uh, they would bring like a random fan in the audience on stage to play guitar? Yeah, pro- they probably do that every tour though. I don't yeah, know. They yeah, did. But they did. They did do it there. Um, yeah. They. Uh... I had a, my neighbor in the dorms got picked when they played the Irwin song. Oh no, he kidding! Went up there and played. Uh, yeah, they, I think they did during like "With or Without You" or something. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, that that album. Uh, that's like the one that was like, okay, I still like them, but this is this is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I you're guess. pushing my limits. Like the, that's the one I think the one the, the singles. Those it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. So since then they they put out another album. They put out two albums. One was okay. Uh, it was alright, and then the most recent one I even listened to. Yeah. I, I'll get to it, I guess, eventually. Yeah. But no, my cutoffs kind of Joshua Tree, and then or maybe Auction Baby. Uh, their '90s stuff's actually pretty good. Really yeah, nice yeah, no, I mean, I've I've actually been revisiting that very recently. Yeah. When I didn't, uh, whereas Joshua Tree, well, they were a political band, right? Yeah, kind that's of, the thing. Well, they are, they are, and they aren't, and REM is, and they aren't too. Yeah. REM's actually got a lot of. I was listening to Document uh, last week, and I was like, "This is really relevant now," hmm. but it's it's subtle. What and year is Document? Document came out eighty seven, I think. Mm-hmm. Document was their last one on IRS Records. Green, which is this uh, this song is off of, is their first Warner Brothers release. Yeah, it's that, pretty different. Like yeah, they they were kind of you know. on document and uh, down before that they were kind of polishing up their stuff. The the joke with our not the joke the thing that people always said about REM is like the first album you can't even understand half the stuff he's saying. <laughs> I mean he was like it's like almost like the musical equivalent of like mumblecore or something. Yeah. And people were like what's he even saying you know like that's just, and that was interesting to people at the time because yeah. 
when that came out in the early eighties, that was when where people were listening to like, you know, Van Halen or yeah. it, it was a very, it was very jarring. I think even to people who were kind of like casually in the, in the college rock or underground rock, yeah. to be like, well, this is just a weird album. It's kind of like folksy. It's kind of, you can't really understand what you're saying. It's just this weird vibe to it. That's kind of, you know, muddled or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Green was, was documentary green. They were kind of polishing up their, their production. I, or they were kind of messing around. I, I would say their production was complementing what they were doing musically, which they was kind of they were kind of expanding out of their their um, their niche as being kind of like you know folksy or folk rocker. Uh, they uh, Mike Peter Buck's method of guitar playing, mm-hmm. uh, which is the other reason they were kind of uh, distinct, was arpeggio based. I yeah. guess uh, so. That was he was kind of like I think Birds is one of his influence mm-hmm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of getting away from that formula, I guess. By the time Document Green came out. Yeah. Uh, but Green, Out of Time, and Automatic for the People are the first three Warner Brothers albums. And those are kind of my favorite. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, in general, those have always been my, my three favorite. But most people would probably like their IRS stuff more. Mm-hmm. Everything after Monster, which is the album that came out after uh, Automatic for the People, is been, was after their drummer uh, quit. Hmm. And his drummer quit, not for personal reasons, in the sense they had an issue with the band or any kind of creative differences. He had, a, he had an aneurysm, hmm. like a brain aneurysm, like on tour. And that whole tour they went on, when they went on Monster, was was kind of, a, had some issues. So he was just like, this is not uh, I think I'm going to just take a break from playing music, touring. Yeah, and like, okay. And they, they, it was fine. It was like, they're one of the few bands, uh, Radiohead's actually the other one, U2 is one of the other ones, that has had the same members. Which I think says a lot. Yeah, that is fascinating to think about. Like, yeah. men can age together through all that. Yeah, and and, and also com- compromise and get to, and keep making music. Right, right. Which is why I think when they they finally did uh, retire, it was a big deal, and and people believed it because they were like, yeah, we're just that's it. We're yeah, this is a good time to just take a break and hmm. do our own thing until you know, for the rest of our lives or whatever. Uh, uh, that that's also kind of the cutoff when they started getting into the territory that's like. Really yeah. iffy, yeah. I guess. Uh, Up's okay. I liked Revealed. That actually came out when I was in England. It's one of the few CDs they'd had in 2001. Huh. Uh, that's an okay album. I, I, one of I like, I like it for personal reasons, but also it was a little more um, upbeat. Yeah. And then after that, there's Acceleration, which is just, they've admitted it's just not a good album. Yeah. They're like, we kind of threw this together. <laughs> we, we, we recorded yeah, it, we went into it, and we're like, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but I know they had obligations with Warner because that right. was a huge signing at the time. Right. But, so they had probably had contractual. And then the last two albums are actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, Collapsing and Now, and then, uh, oh, sorry, Around the Sun's a bad one. Uh, Accelerate, Collapsing and Now, the last two albums, they're kind of like a nice coda to their career. Yeah. In fact, one of them even has, like, not re-recordings, but, like, a lot of uh, callbacks to their older stuff, mm-hmm. which is cool. So they, they kind of went off saying, like, they, they actually put that album six months before they broke up, knowing they were going to quit, and... It was kind of cool because people were like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. This is actually like decent. Maybe we'll tour again. Whatever. And then they were like, hey, we're, they're done. That was it. That was like a last thing. Mm-hmm. It was like their kind of little conclusion to their uh, to their career, which I th- I've always thought was really neat. Yeah. But Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you think about different, like you said, with U2 that keeps going. Mm-hmm. And I think like, well, what were the bands that were popular when we were, when we were kids, you know? Right. Like one of those that I see were unfortunately doomed to have is like Red Hot Chili Peppers oh, is sure. our generation's U2 you know in the yeah. sense that like they they did some cool stuff that like I don't have 
I don't have any regrets about, you know, loving Blood Sugar Sex Match. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, oh. But, I mean, I haven't listened to their past two or three records. And no, I haven't either. And I'm, I fully expect them to release another six more in my lifetime. Oh, no, I mean... And I they'll get the, progressively worse, and they'll keep touring. I think the point and, where they had another, yet another song about California is like, <laughs> oh, come on, really? Like... <laughs> it's just like so I mean, there's a really good spoof I don't, I don't know the guy did this spoof. I've seen this okay yeah. it's it's brilliant like yeah. I was <laughs> even though I was alone and like I kind of knew what I was getting into I still had a spit take like while I was listening to it because it was just so ridiculous <laughs> it's so on point yeah, yeah. Um, that's great Brown Chili Peppers man jeez uh, yeah no R.E.M. you know that's I was I was trying to think of a good way to explain because they're an odd band there's a they really are, yeah. there's a really good it's like an art house band I mean in, it, they have they have moments like that yeah. no they totally do and then they have moments where they just sound like uh, well I mean my, my dad's the one who listened to them and mm-hmm. I, I mean I got into R.E.M. because my dad played them and that's one of those bands where I don't know if you've had this experience or thought back on a certain artist where you're like would I have gotten into this band if mm, yeah. I didn't have someone introduce you didn't them have to that me. connection, yeah. But I don't know with R.E.M. I really don't. Uh, I think I might have, but it would have been kind of like it could a have been a totally thing. different context. Yeah, or yeah. it would have a totally different context, or like I might I would have gotten into him if someone actually did show if someone else did show me, or maybe I stumbled upon it somehow. Right. Um, there's that book, uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life. Yeah, which I yeah. know I you love you love that book. I think you you could probably explain it better. You have um, yeah, I mean, it's basically, it covers, it's the first chapter kicks off and it's like 1991, right. Nevermind comes out and Nirvana changes the face of rock and roll radio. Right. Um, and it basically says, but Nirvana couldn't have happened if it wasn't for all these bands. Then it goes through like 15 different chapters dedicated to bands for like the, you know, American underground hardcore punk scene from eight, 1980 up mm-hmm. until 91. And so you get, you know, explanations of Sonic Youth and Mud Honey and the Minutemen and Black Flag and yeah. all those types of bands. And yeah, I read that um, five years ago or so and, you know, n- knew of most all of the bands right. um, and hadn't really listened to a whole lot of them or connected with them. And it was like, I mean, it's cliche because I think a lot of people have this experience reading that book. But yeah, it really opened my mind up to this whole genre and yeah. ethos of music. Exactly, um, yeah. That I fell in love with and just, you know, helped open up a whole lot of new music for me. Yeah. It's great. Highly recommend the book. And the reason I bring that book up is because I, I thought about that as this is the band, if they hadn't had a single that hit took off in the, mm-hmm. in the 80s, they mm-hmm. could have easily been in this book. Yeah. Uh, South Central, true because South the, Central yeah. Rain. Yeah, I think that was. Yeah, cause that's the thing, and they and they got so detached by the end of the '80s, mm-hmm. not on their own accord, but just because of how successful, successful they actually ended up being. That they, when the book was written, they there was no way there would have been right in it um, because they were on Warner with like. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking about this too. I don't know if, when Prince signed with Warner. I don't know anything about the uh, Prince signs with Warner for. I guess it'd be Dirty Mind. I think. Yeah. This was I know I, I've read and I, I'm not sure what the figure is but this was like the biggest signing they did yeah. ever at the time. Huh. So that's that itself was kind of an event when when R.E.M. Wow. when R.E.M. went with uh, from IRS to yeah. uh, to Warner Brothers or Warner Brothers, uh, and they I guess they went with them because they got to do their own thing creatively. And there's a really good podcast. I'd, anyone who's interested in R.E.M. I'd recommend it. Uh, it's on if you go to if you just google shallow rewards it's a, a music writer named uh, chris ott 
him and two other guys, one guy who was an R.E.M. fan who actually wrote um, uh, reviews of every song they ever did up to a certain point, whenever the, I think this would have been like mid 2000s. Uh, he was on the podcast as well. They were just discussing conversationally about R.E.M. And it's, for me, knowing about the band, even it was still an excellent listening because I heard so many things that I would not have known because I was, yeah. I'm younger than those, those guys who were talking about it. There's stuff they brought up that because of the albums I got in first, I wasn't aware of, you know, it's just a really great primer for anyone who's new to the band. Right. And also really good for anyone who's a fan of the band. Cause they can, they can kind of revisit stuff or hear stuff they weren't aware of. Yeah. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, something they mentioned on there that was, I never really thought of is that, you know, REM, even though they, they signed and they, they're huge. I mean, they were on, they're, I think they're on the Simpsons episode. They're, they're, they're they were, big yeah. enough to be known as like a pop culture, right. You know, footnote or whatever. Right. But they they were pretty like notorious for not not only just not quote unquote selling out, but also just being like cryptic and not in a way that was pretentious, but just like being very like we're not going to do the PR thing, we're not going to do the you know making ourselves celebrities thing. Like they were and they were very democratic in the way they they worked as a band, which is part of the reason when when uh, Bill Berry left, it was kind of a I think kind of threw their albums off. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there was just three of them working together, and it kind of worked. I think two yeah. kind of out. Yeah, it was just the whole. And they the mentioned balance. The podcast. Yeah, the balance got thrown off. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a there's a, a lot of stuff that was influential on other people in terms of ethos. Um, for instance, they were not in any music videos as people for like, I think their first five or six albums. Hmm. They would have like uh, there's a music video for um, uh, Fall on Me, which is from the late '80s. And it's just lyrics and visuals, which is kind of weird at the time because most videos in, on MTV were like someone was actually in there either lip syncing or on the thing. Uh, and that, and I've, I, again, I've, I didn't notice until I actually heard this through other podcasts or, or uh, uh, writings about them, but there's other bands that follow that. Pixies had a, a music video. The first music video they did, they're not actually in it. Or they're in it in a very like tongue-in-cheek way. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Cobain was a big R.E.M. fan. In fact, he this is really morbid, but he was actually had uh, one of the albums uh, on Act for the People. Mm. Like that was the last album he probably listened to before he killed himself. Wow! And it wasn't that wasn't the album that made him kill himself, but that's actually the album that he mentioned like the last few interviews. Like, I want to make something kind of like this. Yeah. If we make another album as Nirvana, uh, he also emulated their whole like Stipe was very not anti-corporate not anti-label but just like we're gonna do our own thing right. and if you want to control yeah and if you want to do the all the stuff we can't handle distribution sales or whatever mm-hmm. like you can do that but we're gonna not compromise on stuff he kind of took a page from that whether it was because he knew them as a fan directly or because other people were also doing it in that scene right but they had an influence that way that like you and I would not know that if someone didn't tell us that like in right. this case I heard it on a podcast or I heard right. it reading up on the band we know R.E.M. because of, you know, it's into the world as we know it. Right. <laughs> and shiny, happy people and like all this, yeah. you know, all those singles, which is like, are just big, you know, rock, alternative rock. rock radio, I yeah. mean, they, they basically were, the, they were the first, they were the crossover and said alternative rock. Yeah. They were the band, for better or worse, that was the first alt rock band, really, um, that Red Hot Chili Peppers and Nirvana and all the other bands that we probably really liked in high school yeah. that we're like, eh, we like them kind of for nostalgic reasons. Yeah. They're okay, but we wouldn't listen to now. Right. That whole thing was, they, they kickstarted. They were, yeah. they were the ones who made the jump, you know, or were and kind they, of thrown into the jump. They convinced the labels to actually spend the money. And, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it. they kind of set the, 
the stage for that, you know. And they also, I mean, their their albums do sound different from the '90s than they do. The, their IRS albums sound very different than their yeah. Uh, I say very different. They all sound the same to anyone who's not a casual REM listener. But there's a big shift. Yeah, you can tell. And and I think you know they they went into our going into a major label. As you know, anticipating that shift and kind of saying, okay, right. well, now we'll do this stuff, you know. Right. But hmm. yeah, I would say, I mean, what how have you what have you listened by REM? Uh, so it's funny. Um, uh, one person who's tried to get me into REM is uh, Taylor Taylor Steinberg. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Which is interesting. He Monster, I think, is his favorite, and so right. he's given me that record. Yeah, I've listened to it. Still, it just hasn't clicked. Uh, and one day, maybe it will. Monster uh, there. Uh, off by it, Monster was there. Uh, we did like two albums of stuff that was like mopey and yeah. I mean, there's there's mandolin more than a guitar. Yeah, a lot right. of time. Uh, and <laughs> I think it's Monster. Yeah, Mo- Monster's the rocker one. Like yeah. Monster's like uh, with the frequency canets on there. Okay. Uh, that's the main single that was off there. I don't listen to that one as often. It's a good album, though. It's interesting, though, that... Because uh, you... I mean, you're, you mentioned how Apex Twin is your favorite mm-hmm. uh, artist. And uh, Taylor is similarly a very big yeah. Apex Twin as well. And also likes a lot of the underground electronic stuff right. that you do. And metal as well. So I feel like there's some weird connection yeah, that I, REM I ties together. I, you know, there's, there's <laughs> Have you ever a, actually met Taylor? No, the only um, people I've met from that thread are uh, you. Well, I knew you, but yeah. um, Ramon and Andy. Yeah. And then Andy, God, I feel so bad. There's been times where we've been at the same show, and I didn't yeah. notice him. Like, and then he like walked off, and I walked off, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I'll go say hey, and then I never do. So like, I feel so bad because like, there's times. Yeah, where no, like, happens. I happens. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like we're like, oh, we were there, but like, really, yeah, that kind of. Yeah. That reminds me of a Slint song, uh, Dawn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're just like. <laughs> Oh man, suddenly like I don't want to. I'm really awkward. Right. Yeah. I'm no. I'm trying to work on that, but we've all been there. We've yeah. All been yeah. There. But it's not personal. That's funny. I I, I didn't realize that he also was an Iron fan. I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, when I guess when they broke up, we mentioned on the thread, but. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> hey man, musical threads. No, that, and I, I think uh, there's a there's a Pitchfork review I remember of one of their compilations where the guy said, he said, uh, REM's a band that's hard to write about because people have deep personal connections to him they're like yeah. if you said completely rational people have very irrational and deep connections to this band mm-hmm. that just happen and yeah. it's it's a lot harder to write from that perspective than something that's got like an objective right. appeal or a universal or, or pop appeal to it or a niche you know importance it's it's they're a weird they don't really fit it's into strange those. yeah, and, yeah. Then, and i guess that's why i've struggled because it's like i know that is true for so many people right. in the band and it feels like inauthentic to force myself to yeah I mean you know the, when I was trying to pick a favorite song yeah you, that's the other thing too like I don't know what, what album to yeah. pick because it's like am I gonna I feel like I'm either gonna be subjected to something I'll listen to right. or I might actually pick the album that they're gonna like oh this is great and I'll right. go from there so I would say pick there's a couple compilations they've had um, of their IRS years mm-hmm. the one that's well known it's one I've actually uh, listened to the most but it's kind of a weird one to choose is uh, Eponymous which is the okay. one IRS put out right after they went to Warner that one's kind of weird because there's some like different mixes on there and some of their best stuff from their IRS years are not on that compilation mm-hmm. so if you can find it oh on Spotify if you go to Spotify uh, there's one called uh, And I Feel Fine the IRS years that's probably the best compilation I would recommend okay. you and might recommend most people to check out cool um, and if you like their 90s if there's a if there's a starting point from one of their 90s songs 
I would go, I would not choose anything up and onward because anything after that album, that album or anything after that, because it's really hard to contextualize that. They're, they're not bad, but they're very late 90s, of early 2000s. Time, yeah. yeah, kind of middle of the road indie rock, I guess. Right. Um, and they, and to me, they don't mean anything really. I mean, Reveal I like, because that's actually like the only one of that era I actually have a, a personal connection to, but they're, they're a completely different world for me than yeah. all the other stuff. That's fair. Um, the, the, my f- favorite REM song I didn't even pick, it's Night Swimming, but if I pick that one, I think I'd just be um, crying and, and babbling. And <laughs> just be like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. But that's my favorite REM song. Yeah, um, cool. There's another one I thought about picking, but it's been talked about so much, I, I wouldn't feel like I was adding anything to it by picking it. Which one? Perfect, uh, Perfect Circle. Okay. Uh, that, that's I'll listen to all of them, I listen, yeah. that one that's on that compilation I recommended okay. so the IRS one's got Perfect Circle in there and I, I also didn't pick that one because actually man somehow I missed that song up until like a couple years ago probably just about a year or two ago when I was yeah. re-listening all their stuff I, I've been collecting all their old cassette like yeah. I'm a big cassette fan or whatever yeah. irrationally I like cassettes but um, <laughs> for fun because they're easy to find at thrift stores or at uh, record stores I was just buying their, their um, album, older albums of cassette and I was listening to one of them and I was like, oh man, how have I never paid attention to this? This is like the best song like ever. I mean, it's just, I mean, I mean that from like an objective point of view. Uh, So I, I, but it's, I've looked it up and I'm like, oh sure enough, it's kind of one of those like super underrated, but everyone's written about kind of songs. Gotcha. This one I picked because I I don't know where to jump in on this one. Uh, Lyrically, it's got a very stream of conscious feel to it I'm not sure how many times you've listened to it but yeah. it's something I've listened to like over and over again and I'm like there's a bit of a narrative but it never quite it, yeah and I like it because there's points where like you, you got something going and then it just breaks into some other thought mm-hmm. which is something I can relate to in the way I, I kind of my thought patterns or my kind of like all slip into daydream or I don't want to say zone out because I'm actually am thinking about stuff but I love that kind of like he's got this scene where okay yeah you're kind of you're thinking about when you're a kid and you're in the car which is literal because I remember listening to songs as a kid right. in the car and then, and then like there's a scene where he jumps to like you know some other memory, and then there's another part where he's like talking about how, you know, just how stressful life is. I mean, the, the, it's for something that's all these jumps, mm-hmm. they're done so like smooth and you know, effortlessly. Yeah. And I love that kind of just uh, the way they pulled that off was just great. Um, and it's something where I. It's when I when I heard it as a kid I liked it, or when I heard it again middle school or high school college. There's so many things that didn't have any meaning to me now. I mean, the, the, the talk where he's discussing, like, you know, uh, being, like, kind of the scene where you're, like, it's like you're, it's like kind of a sleepy afternoon and you're, you know, someone's in the kitchen milling around and, like, just how, you know, those moments where, like, you just, you have, you're really at ease and mm-hmm. content. You, usually when you're at home, often for me it's when I'm driving. Yeah. Uh, not yeah, driving for work or anything, yeah. but just, like, on a, a road trip or something. Right. And, you can literally just not pay attention to what's going on work-wise, yeah. current events-wise. Uh, you might be literally just reading a book or napping or just not doing anything. Like that moment is expressing that that segment. Yeah. And that's always been something I can relate to, but you know, there's a part where he talks about, uh, and he's real vague about it, but just this woman, and I've, now I associate it with my wife, Sarah, right. you know. But I wouldn't have thought that, because I didn't know her back when I was a younger and stuff right. but now I have this thing that's kind of made that lyric more she's important she's the one to sleep in the back yeah seat. and yeah. like you listen to the song and it, it bounces too you don't know if it's it could easily just be about someone like 
this is you know you're a good person or like you're everything like you have like a like a self-assurance song it could also easily be like you said a love song i guess that's what you're alluding to like yeah, a love yeah. song mm-hmm. of somebody uh which and that's why i like about it it can be it can be both it can be either it can be like both at the same time it jumps around it can even be like a spiritual song really, yeah yeah you know? uh, when it talks about the stars and just being comforted by some other it definitely articulates like you're saying that moment of clarity that you get when you yeah. can kind of just like time kind of slips away and you just kind of acknowledge everything around you and to me the romantic aspect is that like acknowledgement of like driving with you know his, yeah his, uh, what i presume to be his lover or uh, you know whoever maybe oh sure sleep in the back seat and right like yeah taking the wheel and just soaking it in and appreciating yeah, exactly, the beauty yeah. of that which i mean yeah if you've ever driven out to martha or something oh my like god that, like, that, yeah, that's the kind of thing there, that yeah. uh that i associate to that for we, sure yeah we, we every year we go to um a town called cloudcroft new mexico mm-hmm. which if you go uh the way we usually go is i-10 we go up through pecos mm-hmm. uh, so we kind of cut back up through West Texas and yeah. cross East New Mexico. And it's a good, like, 10, 11-hour drive. Yeah. More like 12 if you're really, like, actually stopping right. and taking a break. And uh, I daydream about doing that. Yeah. I mean, we do it once a year, but, like, there's times where I just, that's where, like, how I sometimes Yeah, sometimes I'll, like, I'll get off work on a Friday and be like, I don't have anything to do this weekend. Maybe I'll just start driving out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just, like, and... I want to. I eventually want to retire out in West Texas or, or New Mexico because yeah. I just love that landscape and that mm-hmm. area and just that. It's just a whole lot of nothing out there in right. the most beautiful, barren way possible. It's hard to explain it to even. It is. It really is. And I think it, some people it doesn't click, and I completely understand that. Yeah. Um, or it just isn't them. But uh, REM. This song. This song's got a very road kind of traveling vibe to me. Right. Um, the, I don't know if it's just the tempo or the way it's structured, but it's very kind of light but mm-hmm. but moving you know um yeah i just it's it's i really i really love this song uh and it's a song that i you know it could have been a couple years ago it could have been 10 years ago where if you asked me it, this is not a song i would even be in my top yeah five ten hundred but it's it means a lot to me now and it probably means something different to me in 10 years yeah. 20 years or nah, whatever, that's cool you know so it's it's just a really it reflects my, my relationship with this band as well which is a band that whether I like it or not, this they're my favorite band, and they're a band that I've always been able to go back to, and yeah. both appreciate like where I am now in life, as well as the nostalgia I have when I first listened mm-hmm. to them. And I'm a very nostalgic person. I'm not one who gets wrapped up in nostalgia or, or the past, but I appreciate it a lot. Right. And a lot of music I listen to, including electronic music or, or experimental music and stuff, is very heavy in that kind of uh, exercise and nostalgia, or exercise and like past sounds and yeah. I, so it not that REM's really like that sonically but in terms of their importance to me and in terms of what they've said in their lyrics and even the kind of way they sound I guess they're their, uh, style wise it's they're really they're, they're kind of hard to pin down that way too yeah you know? that's true and uh, that's that's why I'll, I'll rep them I guess now but uh, not that I didn't rep them but they're they're, they're not banned but they're one I like to talk about when people are, are listening hopefully you guys are still listening <laughs> so um, <laughs> but yeah no that's that's uh Boy, it's just it's got a lot of meaning to that. A lot of meaning uh, for me is wrapped up in that song, and uh, that's uh, their vast catalog. I just had to pick that one. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a, a trigger event for me to finally. Get well, I mean, I, I hope you give them a shot. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely will. I mean, yeah. and that's, I mean, in perfect honesty, like every song that's ever been on this podcast, I've spent time listening mm. to it and around it. 
and the yeah. ones that I don't know, um, you know, sometimes they click, sometimes they don't, but that, you know, it's another selfish reason for doing it is to discover new oh, music. Yeah, and no, I've, I've, you know, I've listeners all... connect with that as well. Exactly. So. Yeah. I've listened to every episode and there's like every single episode surprised me and yeah. I get joy in listening to someone talk about something they love that is something I would never have personally experienced with a certain song or band mm-hmm. or style. And, you know, to make you feel better, there was a time, uh, I, I, one of their big singles is on the radio is probably uh, Into the World as We Know It, and I remember pulling in, this has been like 2000, oh, probably 2007, 2008, I think we were like going to the grocery store, me and my wife Sarah were in the car, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a fun song, we were like enjoying it, but um, <laughs> there's a part where she like, she just looks at me and she turns down the thing a little bit, and she's like, and she looks at me and she's like fairly serious and she's like very like I don't know how to say this but she just looks at me and she's like I need to tell you this I'm not I don't like R.E.M. that much I don't I, like, I don't I don't I don't like his voice yeah I'm so sorry like she's, yeah. and she's like so sincere she's like I'm really I mean I'm like Sarah I've known that like you, you didn't have to tell yeah, me yeah, I didn't know, and, and she's like, don't get me wrong there's some of their songs like they're, I love some of their songs right. specifically but yeah, like just yeah, you still love me, right? Like I'm like yeah, of course I do. You know, and I'm like I'm not surprised you told me that at all because mm. it's I can understand why they're kind of polarizing, they're kind That's of uh, off putting, or they're but yeah, she cracks me up every time. I, think about that. I don't I don't really mm. like them that much, you know. But well, we'll have to see what she brings on. Yeah, no, we're, we're getting a bugger about so. that again, uh, for sure. Cool. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you. Hey, thanks on. for having me. I'm, I'm so excited you got to have Good me conversation. Here. Yeah, thanks. And I'm um, looking forward to sharing it with everyone. So All right, I hope cool. everyone enjoyed it. Thanks. Bye.